Well, good evening. This evening we continue in the book of Proverbs in chapter 8. Proverbs 8. We've been talking about wisdom. I mean, the theme of this book is God's wisdom. So we're going to be talking about wisdom throughout our studies. But there are different aspects of wisdom that we're going to cover in different sections of the book. Now, we've looked at the blessings or the rewards of wisdom. This evening in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to look at wisdom's praise. The praise of wisdom, but also the things that wisdom praises. And the thing we're going to see more than anything else is that wisdom is constantly seeking, if we can personify wisdom, is constantly seeking us. Because God is constantly seeking us. And the beginning, or I should say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So what happens when you begin to learn from God's word about the wisdom of God, you also start to employ it or apply it to your lives. And then what starts to happen is wisdom sort of naturally speaks to your heart and directs you, and it, it actually causes you to become more like Christ and to follow God's word. And so wisdom, yes, wisdom, it seeks us the way Christ seeks us because God wants us to be blessed. Amen? He wants to, and we want to be blessed. And so he tells us in his word, and specifically in Proverbs, how to apply wisdom to our lives. Why? So that we can be blessed. And so I think this is one of the most encouraging books in the Bible because it simply says these are the right things to do. These are the wrong things to do. If you do the right things, you'll be blessed. If you do the wrong things, you won't. And so with that, let's open in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs, the wisdom contained within it. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for it. As we look at these chapters this evening, may you help us to understand your ways and choose to follow your path, your will, that we might be blessed to praise the things that wisdom praises, and to be blessed for following your word. Lord, that's what we ask for this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've mentioned this before. Wisdom is personified as a woman calling out to us. I've already shared with you that in the ancient world, women didn't generally call out in public. That was not something they, they did. Uh, it wasn't part of the society or cultural norm. However, there were some women that called out in public, as we saw in one of our previous studies, the adulteress. Uh, there were those who were unrefined or those that were considered sinful that cried out. But wisdom cries out louder than foolishness or the temptation of sin. But in this evening's study, we're going to once again see that personification of wisdom as a woman crying out to be heard. And it's interesting because in the ancient world, men unfortunately didn't listen to women all that often, and unfortunately, even today, men and women don't always listen to the voice of wisdom. So let's look at verses 1 through 11. This is the call of wisdom. This is wisdom calling out to us, and it's, again, personified as a woman. We read in verse 1 of chapter 8, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights along the way where the paths meet? She takes her stand, and beside the gates leading into the city at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are a simple gain prudence. You who are foolish gain understanding. 
Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness, and all the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, isn't that interesting that wisdom is likened unto a woman? I think you have to understand the author to understand why the influence of women was so powerful in his life. We're talking about Solomon. We'll see as we go through the book that when Solomon listened to the right people, like his father, and like those in his life that were godly, Solomon did very well. But when he listened to the voices of his pagan wives, of which he had many, many times he was led astray into wickedness and sin. So Solomon knows something of listening to the voices of others. It's what corrupted him, but it's also what saved him, because ultimately he listened to the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom. Now, wisdom, as a woman, diligently seeks anyone who will listen, in contrast to the adulteress in Proverbs 7, which we just studied last week. There you had the voice of the adulteress crying out to to the same man that wisdom would cry out to, trying to entice that man to get involved in an adulterous relationship, a sexually immoral relationship, so that she could merchandise him or take advantage of him. And then we saw that that would destroy his life. And that was last week's study, but there is a contrast here. Wisdom diligently seeking any who will listen. You know, I feel like that today, many times when you're preaching the gospel or teaching God's word, many, many, many times, you feel like you're preaching to the wall, to a brick wall. And sometimes when you actually speak to people, they look at you like, how could you possibly believe that? And, and we cry out as men and women with the wisdom of God and we're ignored. And wisdom is, is everywhere in this world to be found in the truth of, of true science, the truth of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, God's word, experience, history. And yet so many people ignore it. Because they want to believe what they want to believe to be true. And so people believe some rather bizarre things today and ignore the voice of wisdom. But wisdom promises many blessings to to those that will listen, as we saw in verses 5 and 6. She speaks only the truth to those and only to those who will listen. I think it cannot be overstated how important it is to listen, to listen. I think we all get caught up in thinking or doing instead of listening. I'm learning as I get older to stop and to listen and to ponder and to spend more time thinking than doing. Because just like in certain disciplines, there's an economy of movement. Like you don't want to move more than you have to if you're a dancer or if you're a martial artist or an athlete. You want to be economic with your movement. You, you, you don't want to move more than you have to. You want to be precise. Well, I think that it's important that we as Christians don't just get involved in activity, but that we think through the things we do so that we're not busy doing things that God hasn't called us to do. They become distractions. They become extraneous or extra movement that you don't need to be involved in. And so many times we miss God's best because we're so busy. What are we busy doing? Are you doing what God has called you to do, or are you just doing? 
things, spending time, involved in activities God hasn't called you to do. When you do that, you're going to find you won't have time to listen. Think about how Jesus lived. He constantly listened to the voice of his Father as a man and to the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he walked into a town, he wasn't walking around looking for someone to heal. He, He wasn't searching for words or trying to accomplish anything. He simply journeyed to the places God had called him to go, spoke to the people God had called him to speak to, and acted as God had empowered him to act. And so you never see him wasting words or so busy that he misses the point or involved in extraneous or extra activities that would distract him from the very purpose that God the Father had for him as a man. He has what I would describe as the perfect economy of movement. Not one word, not one action outside of the perfect will of God. And you know something? I don't recall in reading the Gospels ever seeing Jesus anxious, worried, or stressed out. You can say in the garden that he was a little stressed and anxious about the cross, but actually it was more the idea that he was facing intense suffering and he knew that and could understand that as God and was really submitting his flesh, honestly saying, if there's another way, Lord, let, let me follow that way. But if there isn't any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was a surrendering of his will, but it required battle. It was, it was a, a, as a human being to surrender his will. He did perfectly, but it wasn't easy. But you never see him struggling with those things. You never see him so stressed out. You never see him stepping outside of the Father's will. Why is that? I'm going to tell you, the number one thing Jesus did as a man is listen to his Father. So I'm going to encourage you, do less, listen more. You know, when you're building something, there's that saying, you know, measure twice, cut once. If you measure once, sometimes you have to cut twice. Sometimes it's better to take a little bit more time to listen so that when you do act, you act in an economical way. That is, you don't do more than you're supposed to. And by the way, so many of us do way more than God is calling us to do. Getting involved in more lives than he's called us to be involved in. Jesus didn't go around involved in every single person's life. He didn't go to every single city. I'm going to encourage you to really seek the Lord and listen to his leading so that when you do act, when you do speak, when you do serve, when you do help others, it's not out of your necessity, but out of your abundance. It's out of your many blessings that you'll bless others, not out of your poverty of spirit or your need. Listen. That's the point. God will, if we listen, speak to us. And wisdom speaks the truth to those that will listen. You want to know the truth about something? Listen to wisdom. Wisdom as a woman pleads with those seeking wealth to prefer wisdom. You should prefer God's wisdom over all the riches of the world. We saw that there in verses 10 and 11. Choose instruction rather rather than silver or instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Well, that's the call of wisdom, and we should heed that call, but you'll never hear it unless you're listening. The power of wisdom is described in verses 12 through 21, and wisdom does have power. Those that have wisdom and employ that wisdom and apply it to their lives have power in their lives. Now, we know that power comes from the Holy Spirit, but that wisdom, which is really a fruit of the Spirit, but also God's truth, if we listen to it, we're going to have the power, we need God's power in our life to accomplish great things on, on his behalf or according to his will and to our own benefit. Look at verses 12 through 21 in chapter 8. Wisdom now speaks to us. She says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. We've talked about this before. Riches and prosperity or success come to those who have God's wisdom. So if you would ask God for all the money in the world, that's, that's a good thing. But if you didn't have the wisdom to utilize that money, you would destroy yourself. I think about how many people have won the lottery Every week they go, they play the numbers. They go down to their convenience store. They purchase their tickets. They play their numbers in hopes that one day they'll win. And every once in a while, you hear a story of someone who wins millions and millions of dollars. In fact, uh, when I used to work at Chubb, when I was there uh, in my career, there was a whole group of people. They would play the lottery and they would always ask me, oh, do you want to get in on the numbers this week? And I said, no, that's okay. And they used to say, you know what's going to happen uh, if we all win, right? They're going to be like, You're going to be the only one coming into work that day. And I used to say, well, then I guess I'll have job security. <laughs> so in the meantime, I'll be one or $2 richer than all of you. Of course, they never went one. But in the building next to us, well, like, it was like my first supervisor way back when in the 80s, she had moved to another department. And she and her department, in a, in a different building at this point, did play the numbers and did win. They won millions and millions of dollars, and they split it amongst themselves, and most of them quit their job, and they had enough money to, uh, to, to retire some, in some cases, and others decided to move on to do something else with their lives. And it's interesting because they did that, and they actually did win. But how many stories have we heard of people who win millions of dollars and then before they know it, their whole life is destroyed. One of the things that happens immediately is everybody's your best friend. Family members are after you, high school friends, elementary friends in, in, from school. Everybody finds you if they know who you are. And, and, and pretty soon you can't really trust anyone. You really don't know who your friends are. And then you start to purchase things that you really can't even afford, even with the lottery winnings. How many stories have I heard? You, you probably heard them as well. People actually destroy their lives, spend all their money, 
and they would have been better off had they never won. That's because while they had riches, they didn't have wisdom. I would rather have wisdom than riches, but wisdom, it brings success. It brings riches. It brings not only what you need, but many times in abundance. Many godly people with wisdom become very successful financially. But they don't destroy themselves because God gives them the wisdom they need. So as we see the power of wisdom, wisdom as a woman brings the understanding necessary to live a righteous life. It teaches you how. Wisdom brings the understanding necessary to rule and govern others. So if you're a manager or a supervisor or a leader, it gives you the ability to lead others in a way that's productive and a blessing to them and not only to you but to all others, to your family members. And wisdom also brings understanding necessary to gain that prosperity and wealth. So if you want to be successful, you need to listen to God's wisdom. I want to read for you the prayer of Solomon. Of course, this book is written by Solomon, at least the majority of it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, this is what happened. Solomon prayed, and Solomon prayed this in verse 10, "'Give me wisdom and knowledge.'" that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. So the case that wisdom personified as a woman is making to all that will listen is this. If you get wisdom, you get it all. You get it all. Because you get God's word in your heart, leading you in the way you should go. Now, we're going to look at the origin of wisdom. Wisdom is now going to speak to us as if wisdom were an actual being, an actual woman. But it's only given to us so that we'll understand how important it is to apply wisdom and to gain wisdom from God. Look at verse 22. We'll read to verse 31. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Or you might say, the first of his way, the very first things that he did, before his deeds of old, before. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there was, there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence and rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind." Now, of course, wisdom is not a person. Wisdom is a blessing from God, but it's given this ability to speak to us in this poetic verse. 
so that we'll listen to it as if a woman was speaking to us. And she now, as the personification of wisdom, they call that anthropomorphism. It's, a, it, it's used a lot in, in uh, poetry and also uh, in literature. But it's this idea of something inanimate taking on the characteristics of an actual individual, a person. And as wisdom speaks to us, she says, I preceded the creation of the universe. We've been studying on Sunday mornings in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, talking about creation. And here wisdom is telling us, I was there before that. Of course, because wisdom comes from God, and God was before his creation. So he, or she, excuse me, she is saying, I preceded the creation of the universe. I witnessed the creation of the universe. And I rejoiced in the creation of the universe. This, of course, is typical and a description of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who embodies all wisdom. But we're not talking about Jesus being created. or It's just the idea that Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, has all wisdom because he is God. And so a lot of what's said about wisdom, it, it speaks of the character and the, and the nature of God. But we're not really talking about God. We're talking about the wisdom that God has. And we're talking about it in a way where it's likened unto a woman so that the poetry can have its impact. Now, one of the things we learn in chapter 3 of this book, so this shouldn't surprise us, in chapter 3, verse 19, we had read a couple weeks ago, that by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. So we know that when God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, that he did so by his great wisdom. No surprise there. It's that same wisdom that you and I can receive from God. So do you see the power of wisdom? See, we're given this introduction to the origin of wisdom, so we'll understand the power of wisdom. It's God's power, his creative power. And so wisdom, please with us in verse 32. We read back in chapter 8, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. There are some people today that just won't listen to reason. They just won't listen to wisdom. They choose to do the worst possible things with their life, and they wonder why they suffer for it. But here wisdom is pleading with us. She's saying, listen to me. Be blessed with wisdom. Seek me and be blessed with life and God's favor. But if you ignore me, she would say, you'll suffer the loss of all that she offers. You'll suffer loss if you refuse to listen. So we come full circle to this idea of, are you listening? Are you listening? How do you know if you're listening to God? Well, first thing, you have to hear God's voice. Now, I don't think you should have a hard time hearing God's voice, but we have his word. We have his spirit. We have our consciences. We have have the ability to hear God's voice, maybe not audibly, but we can hear God speak to our hearts. How do you know if you're listening? Are you doing the things he says? Or are you doing the exact opposite? I think of someone who knows better but doesn't do better. 
It could be anything. It could be how you eat. It could be how you live. It could be the things you do, the relationships you allow yourself to get involved in. It could be the sins you practice or the places you go or the people you connect with. If you know it's wrong and you do in any way, you're not listening. Oh, pastor, I heard you. Yeah, no, no, you didn't. You may have heard the words. You may have understood them, but you didn't listen because you did it anyway. When you make a decision, not in ignorance, but in defiance of God's word, to do the very thing you know is wrong, don't expect to be blessed. So many people in life are not blessed, and they wonder why. Oh, pastor, I don't know why I'm not. Yeah, I know why you're not blessed. Are you listening to God's word? Oh, I know God's word. I'm not even asking whether you know God's word. I ask you, are you listening to God's word? Oh, I hear God's word every Sunday. I'm not asking you if you heard God's word. I'm asking when you heard it, did you listen? What did Samuel say as a young boy in chapter 3, the first Samuel? Samuel, Samuel, the Lord called to him a bunch of times. And Eli told him, well, the next time you hear the Lord, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears and obeys. I'm listening. I'm listening. Well, in chapter 9, wisdom and folly, or foolishness, are both personified as women inviting us to dine with them. It's as if you have the voice of wisdom pleading with someone, hey, come and sit with me. Let me spend time with you. Let me bless you and speak to you and teach you and instruct you. And then you have folly and foolishness doing the exact same thing. This is so accurate because people today are the same as people a thousand years ago. You know, we often see it depicted in cartoons. You know, you have the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, and someone is being influenced, and they have to listen to one of the two influences. Now, it's kind of like that in life. You have the influence of God's Word, His Holy Spirit, telling us what's right. And then you have the world, which is empowered by Satan and sinners, calling out to you and trying to encourage you to do the things that will destroy your life. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Here we receive the invitation of wisdom in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 9. We learn there, wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn it out, uh, excuse me, she has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. It's a beautiful invitation to receive God's wisdom. Think about it, though. Have you ever been invited to dinner? I'm sure you have. Someone invites you. Of course, you would have the decency to respond, right? You would say, oh, yeah, I'll be there. What time? What can I bring, right? And you have this opportunity to go and be blessed. Someone, someone has taken time to prepare a beautiful meal and, t- and set the table. And really, all they want is to bless you. But if you say no, or if you change your mind the last minute and say, ah, you know what, I'm not interested, I'm not going, you really are offending the person who invited you. And you will offend wisdom to the extent that you won't receive wisdom if you reject the call of wisdom, the invitation that wisdom makes to us. Her call is to a banquet of many blessings. She calls to those in desperate need of her counsel, and we need only accept her invitation to be blessed. 
I think about what James tells us regarding wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all men and women generously, that is, without measure, without limit. That is all that you need. So all you need to do is ask. But if you don't ask, you won't receive. Or if you ask for the wrong reasons for wisdom, you won't receive it because you're asking for the wrong reasons. And, and of course, if you're asking for things for the wrong reason, you're not going to receive God's wisdom. So that invitation is, is, is so powerful. And in James 1.9, we, we know that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And here, wisdom personified is asking us to sit down. Have you ever taken someone aside in a like mentoring relationship? Maybe sit them down and say to them, can I share some things with you? I'd really like to pour into you. I'd really like to just bless you. I'd like to instruct you and guide you and help you in coming closer to God and living for him. If someone ever does that, don't say no. You know, there are many people that don't have the opportunity to be mentored or they're not fortunate enough to have someone in their life that can speak into their life and instruct them. But if you're fortunate enough to have that and you don't listen, you're the fool. Here you have wisdom inviting us to spend time in God's presence with God's word. But there's a warning. And in verse 7 of chapter 9, we read, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. There you have the contrast of people who receive wisdom and people who reject it, right? I mean, the whole idea here is correction is of no value to fools. If you pull somebody aside and you, hey, listen, you know what? I just want to kind of show you what you're doing here. And they say, ah, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. They're fools. They're foolish. Correction only increases the wisdom of the wise. Why wouldn't you receive correction? That's the warning of wisdom. But there's a reward. Wisdom, as we've been talking about for some time here on Wednesdays, wisdom has its rewards. Look at verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life, or years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So you see how you have the power to make these decisions? You make good decisions, you'll be blessed. Make bad decisions, you won't. You won't be blessed. Really bad decisions, and you might just be cursed because you bring curses into your own life. The rewards of wisdom. Listen, reverence for God or the fear of the Lord and understanding of his ways. We could call that praise and worship and Bible study. But reverence for God and an understanding of his ways is what we're talking about. By the way, I want to point this out because the language is a little different. Where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a little different than what we read uh, back in chapter 1, verse 7 of this book, we, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, in that first section, it's the idea that the fear of the Lord, having reverence for God, is the beginning of all knowledge, all that you need to know about God. It starts with reverence. 
in this scripture, it's a little different. Same idea, but slightly different. Here the idea is the starting place for wisdom. The actual beginning of gaining more and more wisdom. The idea is that if you start here, listening to wisdom, you will ultimately receive all that God has for you. Slightly different language, but it's an encouragement to not give up or stop listening to instruction or correction. A long and blessed earthly life is filled with reward, and you will be immune from the fate of fools. For, as we learned in verse 12, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you will suffer alone. So many people today who are suffering, let's be honest, they brought it on themselves. I find it harder and harder to be not compassionate. I don't feel sorry. I don't pity fools. I don't mean to sound like Mr. T. But I don't pity fools. And, 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 and here's, here's the thing. I, I don't think that foolish people deserve my pity. I think foolish people should have listened. And I think the suffering and the consequences they endure are the best hope they have of change. So when you and I, we try to amend their consequences or save them from themselves or enable them in some way, all you're doing is interfering with wisdom. Because you see, if someone makes a bad decision and you go out of your way to prevent the consequences of that bad decision, we call that in psychological circles enabling. Alcoholics and drug abusers always have people that enable them. Yeah, you know, I... I I'm going to give you an example. There are people that are so hooked on drugs that they're constantly overdosing. And, you know, they have this Narcan. They have this substance that now if you do overdose, they can shoot you with. And, and listen, you, you'll, you'll survive. Do I think it's a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. But wait a minute. Is it such a good thing that you can overdose and you would die and something can save you? Yes, but is it a good thing that you would depend on that every time you overdose? Think about it. It's like, okay, well, it's okay. If he overdoses, we'll just hit him with the Narcan. He'll be okay. That's enabling someone to continue. That's not really helping them. It isn't. You might be saving their earthly life, but you're not actually helping them. So I look at those things, and I'm not trying to be without compassion. I'm just making the point that if someone can't go to work because they drink too much, and you get on the phone and you call on the boss and make excuses for them, you're enabling them. You're not solving anything. In fact, you're a co-conspirator. You're complicit. I, I think consequences with children, with adults, with all of us, are very powerful teachers. And I know growing up that one of the things we learned that, like, if we were playing with the baseball, I'll never forget this, my parents said, don't hit the baseball in the back because it was a garage on, our, on the border of our property that had a glass window. It's like, and it was a perfect wall, you know, because it was like a stucco wall. We could throw the ball up against the wall, and if you missed, it would bounce back to the, the person who threw it. So we just thought, this is the perfect place, even though my parents said, don't do it. So what do you think happened? The pitch went wild. The ball went through the glass. My father comes out and says, you're paying for that window. That was the consequence. Guess what we never did again, ever? Right? Consequences are powerful teachers. And when you and I interfere and help these people who are foolish, 
who haven't listened to wisdom to avoid the consequences of their bad decisions, you might as well just push them in the direction of hell. I know that sounds like I have no pity or compassion, but actually it's compassion that tells me the best thing that can happen to someone is for them to suffer enough to change. And I think that's what wisdom would teach us. It's one of the things we learn here in this book. If you listen to wisdom, wisdom rewards you by making you immune from the fate of fools. Don't be a fool. Finally, here in verses 13 through 18, we have the invitation of folly. Like we had the invitation of wisdom. Crying out, we have the invitation of folly. In verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come here, she says to those who lack judgment. Oh, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of the grave, or Sheol, the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. So you see, there are two voices. You have this woman wisdom crying out and inviting people to dinner, but you have this woman folly doing the same thing. And many people listen to folly. Folly will bring destruction and foolishness. Wisdom will will bring blessing. The invitation of folly, again, likened unto a woman, calls out right alongside wisdom. Because out there in the world, people are given choices. God allows us to choose, gives us free will. She calls to the very same crowd with the very same words. She promises great carnal pleasures to those that will take the easy way. To accept her invitation is to fall headlong into death and the grave and destruction. And isn't it interesting that Solomon's great downfall was women and the influence of women in his life? So these personifications aren't surprising to a man who learned that when you listen to the right person or the right woman, you're blessed, but if you listen to the wrong one, you're cursed and you suffer. It's not just women, it's the voices of this world. Any voice in this world that will tell you to do something contrary to God's word is folly. It's foolishness. You know one of the saddest things I've seen recently? It truly is one of the saddest things I've seen. I watched a video a couple of months ago, and I've seen more interviews as of late. They call people who have uh, used either puberty blockers or hormones to try to transition into another sex. Um, They call people who have reluctance at having done that people who detransition. But there really is no detransitioning from something like that. You've already destroyed your life, physically at least, and emotionally, let's be honest. You've brought great destruction into your life. So people go ahead, they mutilate their bodies with the assistance of doctors who should be in jail. They take chemicals that should never be given to children or adults. They harm their bodies, and then, after having listened to the voice of folly... When they realize nothing's changed and they're still unhappy, it's the saddest thing in the world to hear someone in that situation say, I wish that I hadn't done it. 
And then they try to detransition, but then they're stuck somewhere in between the person they were and the person they thought they wanted to be. And they have sort of an androgynous way about them. They, you look at them, you can see the scars of them having messed with their identity chemically and surgically, emotionally, psychologically. But you know what's amazing to me? The media won't give any time to those people. They can't get two minutes on CNN or MSNBC or the major network news because foolishness doesn't want you to know the consequences of following the voice of folly. They want you to think that everybody who makes that decision, which is a very foolish decision, is happy. Finally, the person that God had made them to be. When we know the truth is the exact opposite. But don't wait for the world to give you the truth. It's just going to give you more foolishness and folly. But if you listen to wisdom, God's wisdom, you'll never have to worry about being in a situation like that pathetic person that I listen to, tortured. My heart breaks for a person who's in that situation. And many of them take their own lives. This you'll never hear. You'll see no statistics, no interviews. You've got to scour the Internet and maybe look at some conservative uh, websites to find this stuff, but it's true. Perfect example as to what can happen in your life if you listen to the voice of folly. Brothers and sisters, listen to wisdom. Wisdom's praise. Oh, we praise wisdom because we know that God's wisdom will bring blessings and rewards into our lives if we listen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We cry out with true compassion in our hearts for those that are destroyed for a lack of wisdom and knowledge and understanding because they don't fear you or revere you. They suffer greatly. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to listen to your word to gain wisdom, and to live our lives for you, and to speak wisdom in a world that seems to shun it each and every day. We ask these things, Lord, knowing that the greatest wisdom we can share with the world is that you sent your own son to die on a cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, that he's promised to come again to judge the living and the dead, And that if we but cry out and respond to the wisdom of your word, receiving you, calling out to you, we can become your children. Lord, we ask that all those who hear this message and those that within our congregation who maybe don't know you would cry out to you and respond to the voice of wisdom by giving their hearts to you, recognizing that you died for them. And all they need to do is accept that sacrifice on their behalf, claim you as their Lord and Savior, and they can be saved in so many wonderful ways, saved in this life, blessed in this life, but saved for all eternity because of their hope and their faith and their trust in you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.